I'm going to start with an assumption, and this is my assumption. Just about everybody in here, just about everybody in here, wants to be used by God. You want God to use you in a particular way as he sees fit to bring him glory. If you follow him, you are his servant. You are an instrument in the Redeemer's hands, and he can use you and do with you whatever he wants. So that's kind of my assumption. Now, I'm also going to assume there's some tension within, uh, internal tension where you know that God wants to use you, but you're not quite sure of the practical outworking, like how he wants to use you. What does he want to do through you? What, how's he going to use you as an instrument in his hands? Um, and and you, you want to be used. You're ready, but you're not quite sure what that looks like. And some of you are anxious, worried about your future. In fact, I would say, we tend to be a room full of restless people. You're restless. You're like, God, I'm ready. Whatever you want to do, just show me my future. What do you have in store for me? Just use me and create some internal tension. And my job this morning is to calm you down and try to shift your focus. Instead of focusing on what you might do, Start focusing on who you are to become. I'll say that again. Instead of focusing on what you might do, start focusing on who you are to become. To put it another way, instead of fretting and freaking out about your future doing, why don't you spend some time and hone in on present being? I want to show you something. I contacted one of the doctors in our church, and I asked them if I could borrow a scalpel, and I asked them if it was legal for me to have one. They're messing with me a bit, but they gave me one eventually. This is a scalpel. It is you. All right, are you with me here? And the hand is God holding you as an instrument in his hand. So you are the scalpel in God's hands. Now, rather than freaking out and worrying about how God is you, God's going to use you to cut, like some of you are really freaking out, right? Like, what's going to happen? How's God going to use me? It's almost as if you're the scalpel that's acting up. You know, you're just, you know, you're going crazy in God's hand. Can you imagine trying to cut somebody like this? Don't cut me, right? You're the scalpel. God's holding you. You're not holding him. And instead of worrying about how he's going to use you to cut, why don't you just focus in on being as sharp as you can be? You see, there's a cover on here. I don't dare take it off or I'll cut myself and bleed out here on the stage. <laughs> but God is holding you. Don't worry about how he's going to use you to cut. Focus on how sharp you can be. Like today, how sharp can you be in walking with him and being sensitive to his spirit, repenting of sin, of growing in the word. Focus more on those things in your present and let him take care of the the future cutting and how he's going to use you. And we're going to see a little bit of this in an amazing story that you may have never read before, but it's very encouraging. So let's turn to 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16, as we're going through the book of 1 Samuel. This chapter is pivotal 
because the balance of power is about to shift. Uh, this crown's been on our stage for a while as we're talking about kings of Israel leading up to the ultimate king of Jesus. And so far we've been talking about King Saul. Well, the balance of power is going to shift from King Saul. And in this pivotal chapter, it's going to start to switch over to King David. Saul has disobeyed. He's been foolish. So he is out. God is going to take King Saul, put him down, and he is going to pick up King David. And King David will now be the instrument in God's hand to lead his people. But at the present... King David is just a lowly shepherd out in the field, and somehow he has a heart that's locked in on God. And you never know what God's going to do with the heart that's locked in on him. It's a great story. We're going to cover a whole chapter. Once again, bonus day for you. Let's go ahead and jump in. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. God tells Samuel, it's time to move on. Quit crying over Saul. I have dissed and dismissed him. Let's move on. I want you to head out, and I'm going to pick another king, and he's going to come from the little town of Bethlehem. You ever heard of a king coming from the little town of Bethlehem? Yeah, that's King Jesus. We'll get to him in a little bit. But right here, we have King David, who also is coming from the little town of Bethlehem. Verse 2. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. It's common knowledge in the land there's a rift between Samuel and Saul. And Samuel fears that if he just shows up and picks another king, then Saul's going to somehow hunt him down and kill him. And the men of Bethlehem are, are nervous as well. They say to him, do you come peaceably? They're wondering if Samuel's presence there will bring trouble to the town. But the Lord had given Samuel a, a cover story of, of sorts for his protection, and he tells Samuel to describe his business as one of sacrifice, which it was, but his covert intentions were to pick a new king. So in line with the plan, Jesse and his sons are invited, and they're prepped for the meal, and they're ready for the sacrifice. Verse 6. When they came... He looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Great 
famous biblical saying on how God's seeing is different than man's seeing. Typically, humans look on the surface or the outward appearance, but God is going in on the heart. And Samuel thinks, surely it's Eliab. You know, he, he's, he's tall. He's good looking, just like Saul was described a few chapters earlier. And he thinks, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And there are times that we can focus on the externals as well. I was reading a few years ago that the students at Northwestern tended to work out more and be in better shape than students at other universities. Now, before you think you're really cool, I want you to consider this. Someone sent me an email uh, a few weeks ago that showed that Skokie, the town I live in, to be one of the best-dressed suburbs in America. Yeah. Now, it's, it's, we, we know it's silly, right? We're not going to say, oh, you look good, you're dressed good, that means you're going to be this great leader. We, we know that. We don't do that, right? But I'll tell you what we do. We are in a community that tends to focus on intellectual ability. And if someone is really smart, we assume that they're going to be a great leader. We put the looks aside, focus on the intellect. And yet if you read the Bible enough, there is something far more important than external exp- uh, appearance and far more important than intellectual ability. Because the Bible says right here in verse 7, man looks on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It seems to be saying that man's paradigm is opposed, in a sense, to God's paradigm because God's paradigm is different. We're looking at the externals and God's looking at the heart. Are you familiar with that heart language? The heart has to do with all that makes you you, your motives, your thoughts, your intentions, everything that is is inside of you, why do you do the things you do? And the Lord is looking at your inner person and your willingness to submit to him and his ways. And it doesn't mean that you can't look good. It doesn't mean you can't be smart. But the most important part of your life is your heart. There is a, a famous verse, and maybe the only verse that you may recognize in Second Chronicles, but it's a good one to memorize. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Can you just picture that God? He's like, He's just roaming. His eyes are roaming throughout the earth. Can you imagine his eyes are kind of just roaming throughout the earth? And he's looking for someone in here, or several of you, whose hearts are, are fully committed to him. No matter what you look like, no matter your intellectual, he's looking for your heart. Are you fully committed to the Lord? And God wants to come in, and he wants to strengthen you in following him. Because God gives this priority to the internal over the external. There's this passage from the book of 1 Timothy It says, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, many of you understand this concept of of physical training. But the command here is train yourself for godliness. 
Train yourself to walk in the ways of the Lord, to understand his commands, to be empowered by his spirit, to understand what fervent prayer looks like, sharing your faith, helping the poor, repenting of sin, loving other people. Train yourself for godliness. And I'm just wondering, some of you, a lot of us are guilty of this, focus more on physical training than spiritual training. In fact, you'll spend more time on physical training over spiritual training. What if you focused on growing spiritually as much as you do on, let's say, your diet or the amount of time you exercise? Well, let's just, let's just get things out in the open here. Racing season's coming up, right? All types of Races are coming up over the summer. And can you imagine? Well, you don't have to imagine. Just think about all the hours you're about to put in to train for races this summer. What if you put equal amount of hours in training to be godly? Just make that your goal. Okay, as much time I'm going to put into physical training to do my hobby, I'm going to put the same amount of time of spiritual training growing in the Lord so that when God picks me up and he wants to use me, I'm going to be as sharp as I can be. And if you say, well, no way, then I've got to ask you, what do you value more? The external or the internal? What do you value more? Winning a race or being used by God? Not saying you can't run, not saying you can't work out. I'm just wondering where priorities are at. Back to the selection process. Verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Oh, four, seven. Jesse's sons are, are, are winless. And, and it's, I, I love what Samuel says. He basically says in the next verse, are these all the boys you got? Look at verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. A great story. David is not even put forward for consideration. His dad totally disregards him as just a lowly shepherd. Do, do you feel a family counseling session coming on here in the future? Totally doesn't even bring him for the, for the selection process. Doesn't even let David get dismissed, doesn't even bring him. And yet, that's the one. Verse 12. And he sent and brought him in. He was ready and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now, it's not that David's ugly, because here he's called handsome. 
But as far as Jesse is concerned, David was not even in the mix. And what does God do? God picks him. God fills him with the spirit, says, you are now going to be the king over my people, Israel. It's so great to read the Bible and see that God often picks people that the world does not pick. People like you and me. There's this great passage in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27. It says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God is in the habit of choosing the world's rejects. I just think about it. We follow a rejected king. The Bible tells us that there was nothing in Jesus' appearance to draw us to him. His family thought he was crazy. He was scoffed at for being a carpenter's son from Nazareth. And to top it all off, he appeared to be a suffering Messiah instead of victorious. So Jesus was completely rejected by the world and killed. And yet, where is he now? reigning at the right hand of the Father after his perfect life, death for sinners and resurrection and ascension. And the good news for you and for me is that he offers life to the world's rejects. That if we put our faith in him, we can follow the rejected king and live forever. And I just want to encourage you, you know, don't, don't write people off too quickly to be saved. Don't write people off too quickly to be used by God. God tends to pick the world's rejects, and he tends to use them. People like you, people like me. Now, I'm going to do something I do a few times a year, and if you haven't seen it before, it's legal, and so I'm going to do it, all right? Right now, I'm going to take a sermon timeout. Yeah, I'm going to take a timeout. I occasionally do these to fill you in on something important. We are in the midst of a pivotal time in our church where we are picking new elders. Elders are the ones who lead our church. And the question you may have is, how do you pick elders? Do we just line people up here like Jesse's sons and we wait for God to tell us who's in and who's out? We don't do it that way. What we do is we look for fruit. Fruit and gifting. Specifically, we, we look for the fruit as outlined in the book of, of 1 Timothy and the book of Titus, where it talks specifically about elder qualifications. I don't see how any church could ever blow this because it's in the Bible. Just read the qualifications and see, who, see the man who lines up, not perfectly, but who's going in that direction. It says things like this. It speaks of men who are above approach, Husband of one wife, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, and on and on and on. Yeah, we, you see, we can't see the heart like God does, but we can discern the heart as we see a life of fruit. Now, let me let you in on kind of the inner workings of our church. Here's the process. The congregation has an opportunity to see who is walking in line with these qualifications, and they make nomination 
of the certain men for the current elders to consider. So the current elders, we take some of these, these men that are nominated and we, we give them uh, paperwork, lots of paperwork. They've got to answer lots of questions, pages full of theological questions and practical questions and personal questions. And, and after they answer all the questions, they've got to come to be interviewed by the elders. And that is going to happen this Tuesday where men will come in, they'll get asked personal questions. I mean, why not, right? We're not just looking at if you know theology. We're not just trying to see if you can practically handle ministry. We're trying to see, are you walking with the Lord? And, and so for the men who are coming in, just, just know that, that I'm going to get in your business. I want to know what's up. What's up in your life? So be afraid. No, not too afraid. So you're coming to this process. They'll be here this next Tuesday. Pray for these men. We're going to interview them. And then we're going to tell the nominees, hey, we, we think you should hold off. We think you need to work on these areas of your life. We think that you need to work on this concept here. Or we'll tell them, or we'll say, hey, we think from what we can see that you will be a, a good elder. But then we take these men and we bring them before the congregation in something called a forum. And in the forum, people in the congregation, the members, get to ask the men anything, anything they want. They can ask them. And then after that, then the congregation will get together and they'll talk and they'll talk about, like, do we think this will be a, a, do we see the fruit? Have we seen a life of faithfulness? And then after all those steps and all those process, the congregation will get together and decide whether they are going to affirm this person to be an elder. And what we're looking at is what? The heart and a life expressed through specific fruit. Okay, time in. Let's go. Back to the story here. Verse 14. David is now the spirit-empowered king. Let's see what happens to Saul. Verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. (laughs) Now remember in the Old Testament, the spirit can come and go, because the spirit empowers, and God has seen Saul is disobedient. He removes his spirit from him. And he leaves him with a spirit that torments him. Now, what follows in, the, in all the chapters of the Bible pretty much till the end of First Samuel is you're going to see the unraveling of Saul. He's going to be a mess. He's going to unravel, and you're going to see this downward spiral of Saul. And in fact, he's going to be a little bit out of his mind, like a, a madman. And those who are, are attending to Saul, they start to notice that he is a little crazy. Verse 15. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are, skill- who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the evil spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. If you are looking for a Bible passage to support music therapy, here it is. Saul and his servants agree. He needs music therapy to make him feel better. They go in search of someone who can play the lyre. It's very, very similar to a harp. In fact, your version may say harp. And if you've never read this story before, Who do you think this skillful person is going to be? Who is God going to bring to to comfort 
Saul. It's a great story. You would never write this story. You would never come up with this. This is great. Look who God picks. Verse 18. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. And the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey, laying with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat, and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. Great story. Newly anointed and spirit-filled David shows up in the court of rejected and spirit-void Saul. The irony is astounding. Saul is a rejected king who needs relief, and under God's providence, the new king arrives on the scene to provide it. It, it, It's a great story. Verse 21. And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Two things to notice. David is a man of war. And here he is functioning as Saul's armor bearer. The second thing to notice is Saul loves him in the sense that not only can David calm him down during his fits, but he was mighty in war. The rejected king loves and appreciates the new king. And just for the record, Saul doesn't know about all the anointing and spirit feeling. He doesn't know that yet. He doesn't know that the, the guy playing the harp for him right now, the armor bearer, that's the new king in God's eyes. Saul doesn't know that yet. Isn't, isn't that a great story? The irony is amazing. Verse 22, finish it up. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David remain in my service for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well and the harmful spirit departed from him. This is what I want you to get. Here's the story, all right? David has a heart after God. David has been anointed to be the next king. David is filled with the spirit of God. And here, David is playing the harp for a disobedient and rejected madman. Did you know what comes in the next chapter? You can sneak a peek. Oh, David and Goliath comes next. Famous story of the great victory lies ahead. But David, at this point, does not know that he's about to kill a giant. And I'm just curious, David, I'd love to talk to him. David, what what are you thinking at this moment? Wouldn't you love to know what he's thinking? And I don't know what he's thinking, but this is what I would be thinking. All right, I would think this. Okay, I've been anointed... And the Spirit of God has come upon me to play the harp for a madman? That's that's what I'm doing here? And what you'll see throughout the story of David, it's amazing, is that he has this reliance and trust in God's timing. In the coming chapter, Saul's going to try to kill David over and over and over again. And David is going to have a chance to kill Saul, I think, a couple times. And he's like, nope, not going to do it. So whether he's playing a harp or on the run from Saul, he is waiting on God's timing to bring him to the throne. 
Yes, he is anointed. Yes, he is filled with the Spirit of God. But he's waiting on God's timing. And it made me think of you this past week. God is probably, or he may, I I don't know, he's probably. God's probably going to use you to kill giants in the future. You're going to kill lots of giants. But maybe right now, you're going through a season of playing a harp for a madman. You may be doing things right now that you just don't particularly like. And maybe right now, you, you, you would even say that you don't even like your life, where you're at. You're just kind of like waiting for God to get going with the future because what you're doing now is just it's not working for you. And that's why I come back to what I said at the beginning. Instead of focusing on what you might do, start focusing on who you are to become. Instead of being restless and worried and fretting about this future doing, hone in on the the present being. David's just shepherd out in the field. God sees his heart. And I would say to those of you who feel like you're stuck, there's no traction, there's no forward movement in your life, that today is the day for you to train yourself in godliness. Now is the time to walk in line with the ways of God. Now's the time to consume his word, to learn what it means to repent of sin, to receive his grace, to, to pray fervently, to share the God. Now's the time to train yourself to be godly. Too many times we wait for the future. We say, God, if you'll just get me into the future and let me do what I want to do, then in the future, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be where I want to be, spiritually speaking. No. Where you're at right now, train yourself to be godly. Ten years ago, some of you heard that same verse, train yourself to be godly, and you did nothing. And here you are ten years later, in the same place. And if you don't do anything today, 5, 10, 15, 20 years later, you're going to be in the same spot. The command now is, what's going on in your heart? Work on your heart. God sees your heart. Train yourself to be godly. I know that there are many things that you want to have happen in the future. Some of you, maybe you've graduated from college and you're trying to figure out what you're doing with your life and and some of you really want to get married but there is no one there right now. And it may be causing you restlessness. What are you supposed to do? Train yourself to be godly. I know some of you have a void summer or next year you're not quite sure what you're doing next. Well, I can tell you what you can do today. Train yourself to be godly. Those of you who are married, you're you're ready to have kids. Kids do not seem to be coming. And, And rather than freaking out, Train yourself to be godly. Rather than worrying about the future and the way God is going to use you or not use you, there's something you can do today. You can train yourself to be godly. You can work on the internals, what's going on in your heart. You are an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. Stop worrying about how he's going to use you to cut and just be the sharpest instrument you can be today. 
Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about that. He wants you to seek him and his kingdom. Train yourself to be godly. Do not show up here five to ten years later as dull as you are today. There is a sharpening process that can happen as you train yourself in the walk in the ways of the Lord. Today is the day. Train yourself to be godly. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is good to know that we do not need to worry. We do not need to worry about our next stage in life, our next job, our next relationship. We don't need to worry about those things. We need to be faithful today. And I pray for my brothers and sisters. They were getting to the mode, reflecting on the internals over the externals, on walking in your ways of training themselves to be godly. And not to fret over future doing, but to be faithful and let you form us in the present of our being. And we know that that will come through training in your word. We know that will come through suffering. We know that will come through failure and repentance and forgiveness and grace. You want to shape us. You want to mold us. You want to use us. May we not stagnate and be dull over the next several years waiting to move on. May we focus in on being sharp as we can be by your grace today. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the next two weeks, 